Ho, 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 and hello, and welcome to another season of My First Dungeon, the tabletop role-playing podcast that helps game masters learn new games and how to make each one better than the last. It is the holidays, and that means it is time to be merry here at Many Sided Media. And so this season, we are playing Hometown Holiday, a tabletop role-playing game of televised romance. Let me uh, just set the scene, give you a little preview here. It's the holiday season once again in your quaint small town. There are carols to be sung, decorations to be hung, and charming small businesses to be run. But with all of this holly jolly hubbub, who has time for love? If only there was an equal parts gorgeous and bland idiot to show you what this time of year is all about. As it turns out, there is! However, you are not the only one looking for love this December, and this town ain't big enough for all of you. It's a small town, remember? Flirt, blunder, and trope your way to romance and earn your single chaste kiss with the darling dullard of your dreams. If that sounds a bit like a Hallmark original movie, good, because that is exactly the vibe we are going for. And to direct us through this festive romp, we will be turning to the very first person to ever GM on this podcast, none other than our very own Abby Hepworth. How's it going? Hello. (laughs) Welcome once again to the show. Yeah. I mean, I'm here all the time. Here all the time. (laughs) But it's always a joy. Always a joy. Always a pleasure. Never a chore. Um, (laughs) We've been talking about this game off mic a little bit and Mm -hmm. how excited you are to play it because you love rom-coms and Christmas and holiday spirit. Uh, What are you most excited for about this game? Oh, man. I'm such a sucker for like a cheesy holiday movie and just like the spirit of it and even the ones where it's like from the third line you're like I could probably accurately guess 95% of this plot <laughs> but like that's the fun of those movies and so I'm I'm really really excited to play into the tropes and the joy and the the just the fun of like being overtly campy mm-hmm. I love camp and this is I feel like the place to do it. Yeah. A uh, speed run. What are your, some of your favorite rom-coms and or Christmas or holiday movies? Oh my God. You're really putting me on the spot. Um, uh, you know what? I will say a recent fave is um, I think it's Netflix, a single all the way, the new one with Jennifer Coolidge in it. Incredible. Okay. Um, it was the perfect balance of, cheesy, you know, it has all of the tropes, but was actually really sweet and lovely and like acted beautifully for, for, I can't remember any of the actors' names who were in it except for Jennifer (laughs) Coolidge, but Jen and crew knocked it out of the park. (laughs) I mean, the princess switch, all those, those ones for Christmases, the holiday, I mean, elf, but like it's, that's just kind of its own. It's a different, a different thing. I only just watched the holiday for the first time last year and it was lovely. It's so. It's also it's a great time. yeah. It's a cast that you don't necessarily expect to work. You you so don't. <laughs> I looked at that cast. I was like, that makes no sense. Yeah, on paper, you're like, what's up? And then you watch it, and you're like, that's what's up. Okay. I'll be honest. Not just on paper. In visuals, <laughs> you're, you're watching. You're like, I'm not sure this works. And then you get to the end, you're like, shit, they they made that work. Yeah. That yeah. casting director nailed it. Yeah, one hundred percent. And and then talking about this game in particular. 
this is a rules light game. We've played rules light games on the show before, but there is a bit of like a competitive aspect to this game. Like there is a winner. There's only one person who can be with to get that one chaste kiss. To get that one chaste <laughs> kiss from the love interest. Is there anything that you're worried about going into this game or things that you are hoping that Nick can can help you prepare yourself for? Yeah, I mean, I think one thing that um is different from other games that I've played is it's the sort of vague sense of like player versus player since you're competing for the love interest, but also since it's a sort of lighthearted and like anyone could kind of end up with anyone sort of a thing. It's not nearly this. I feel like describing it as player versus player is not accurate, even though it is because there is a winner. And so, yeah, I feel like managing the sort of competition between players while keeping it sort of fun and and figuring out how competitive <laughs> these players want it to be is the main thing. And then, of course, I want to create a a, a devastatingly gorgeous dullard uh, who is <laughs> appealing enough and have already been really trying to figure out who they are. You can you can just turn your head and look to your loving fiance. Aww, <laughs> but you're no dullard. Uh, some days. <laughs> Well, wonderful. And we want to set you up for success on this show, as we always want to set up our GMs for success. And if you want to set up your GM for success, there is no better way to do that than by talking to the designer of the game, talking to the designer of Hometown Holiday themselves. So we have on the show, Nick Torville. Nick, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Congrats, by the way, on your engagement. Oh, thank, oh, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, that's so cool. It's, it's, we've been engaged since April, but it's still weird to like, we just casually mention it now and then people are like, oh, congrats. We're like, Oh, yeah, I guess we should be accepting congratulations for that. <laughs> it's always lovely to hear, yes. <laughs> Nick, great to have you on the show. Yeah, great to be here. We're very excited to play this game. When Elliot first like brought it to my attention, I immediately was sold. I was, I was like, oh, that's our holiday season, for sure, 100%, no notes. But just for anyone who isn't familiar with this game, can you give us, what's, what's a brief rundown of Hometown Holidays and how did it kind of come to be? Yeah, absolutely. So Hometown Holiday is, I mean, it's everything you've laid out, right? It's its a pastiche of the classic Hallmark Christmas movie. It's just the, the twist is that you're, all the players are each the individual star all in the same movie. <laughs> so, you know, each player is a, you're talking about all the tropes and everything. That's very much what this game is based in. It's, it's the whole point is to play into these tropes. Abby said it really uh, perfectly where it's three sentences in, you know, what this movie is. And I think that's kind of a strength of the game, um, especially for new players and things, is that I don't have to worry too much about what's going on. I kind of I kind of know where this is going and I can play into those tropes. I can be extra silly. Um, and so part of that is each of the players takes on the role of like a quintessential Hallmark protagonist, right? So one of them is the, the I mean, we have, we have the roles are kind of like the classes. So one of them is the heart of Main Street. So I'm running a struggling business small t- uh, in, in the you know small downtown just trying to get by, but also, ooh, maybe there's someone coming by for me to fall in love with. Or, you know, coming from the opposite end, I could be married to my job. I work at the big corporation and I'm business-minded only. And I'm not looking for love. Oh, but the right person has come along. Or you could be the holiday spirit, which is, you know, either I'm like Santa Claus's daughter or I was whisked here from another time. And the only way to get me home <laughs> and set things right is for also, you know, also for me to fall in love. So it's like if you take all of these together, mash them together um, into one movie. I think Holiday Spirit might be 
my favorite role of just because yeah. the 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 constant this is such a weird way to put this when you watch these movies the constant threat that anyone in this movie might be santa or an elf <laughs> is just so funny to me. That is that is the the perpetual Chekhov's gun in every Hallmark <laughs> <Yeah>. movie. <laughs> it's like who's gonna turn out to be? Yes, like a magical ancient woman who's actually the ghost of Christmas past sent here. And at the end of the movie, she's just like gives a knowing nod and then disappears as like snow. And you're like, what? <laughs> it's so funny. I was literally about to say blown. Aw- looks to the camera and is blown away in the snow. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> just becomes glitter, and you're like. Sure. Okay. Yeah, why not? <laughs> I watched one uh, with my wife um, last weekend where there was a man who wasn't actually Santa Claus, but was <laughs> metaphorically Santa Claus. Mm-hmm. And not subtly either, you know? Uh, <laughs> oh, I mean, so even nothing if they're not... about these are subtle. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. Well, that's the thing. Yeah, you if, if someone's an elf, you know they're an elf. Yeah, like... 100%. <laughs> Honestly, at that point, if you're going to be subtle, just like he's Santa Claus or he's not Santa Claus, don't make him a Santa Claus. <laughs> that's a good point. Him. That's a good point. This was a weird one. This was like a family... It was the plot of a ho- of like the typical Hallmark movie, but it was the family learning to love the holidays. So it was mm. like, is the... Uh, that was weird because the beginning was like, it's the dad going to leave the mom for the, <laughs> the woman who runs the diner? These are always romances. Like, what's going on here? That doesn't seem right. Right, but it's like, this is supposed to be about family joy and we're going to have a divorce? What's <laughs> yeah, happening? Right? We, have, we have two tropes at odds with each other currently. <laughs> um, that, that did not happen. But Love that. I am really excited for, for this, especially because it is, it's not just like we're taking one of these tropes and playing it with it. We're taking all of the tropes and putting yeah. them all into one bucket and just seeing like how those things happen. Yeah, absolutely. Sorry, I don't know if I derailed us, if I, if I quite... No, no, oh no, God, you're no. fine. <laughs> we'll perpetually go off the rails and we'll perpetually find our way back somehow. Perfect. So, so to start us off, before we get into addressing kind of Abby's thoughts on, on the game and, and what she's most worried about, what, she, what, what we should prepare for, uh, what any GM should prepare for if they're playing, can you uh, real quick break down the main like dice mechanics of the game and also... Uh, I'm so excited for you to explain the stats of this game because it's, <laughs> I'll be honest, when Elliot first told me about this game, he told me, oh, this is game Hometown Holidays and it's it's kind of like a Hallmark movie. And then he told me what the stats are for this game. And I won't take that joy away from you. I'll let you tell the listeners, but it is what sold me on the game. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. So it is is a 2D6 system, just super straightforward. Uh, you know, my character is trying to lift up a really heavy object and so they would roll with one of their three stats and then add that stat in right so the three stats are sweaters cocoa and cheer um so it's (laughs) yes they are (laughs) (laughs) they absolutely are i have a plus two in cocoa yeah no it's like it's kind of a flavorful bend on the classic you know like mind body soul kind of thing so all my all my physicality is in my sweaters and all my mental tasks are by cocoa and my cheer is my charisma and also just my my love for the holiday season. <laughs> Nick, no notes. <laughs> no notes. It really, it's just so fun. I'm, I'm glad. I'm, that's, that's something I always love is like just the, the, the small little jokes that, that, that get people. Um, mm-hmm. Everything about this is meant to be just like super like zero prep for for anyone you know just jump right in and that includes the character creation so there's six roles each of them has its own cheat that you just print out or you know use on your computer and it's you get to decide your name 
and a two-sentence backstory, although there's also a couple recommendations. I found most people just kind of go with that. And then you choose a skill, and your stats, your stats are already predetermined, and you're just good to go. I also love the um, secret objective. Oh, yes. That each person gets to have. Also, because I was reading through all of the options, and again, it's honestly, the writing in this game is so phenomenal. Of like every single piece of it, you're like, yes, holiday, get it. I know what this is. Like every single piece just reinforces what it is that it, I just, I was like dying. I was like, I don't, if I were playing one of these roles, I don't know which one I would want because I want to be them all. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. That's very sweet. So, so yeah, so the secret objectives are um, something you'll find on the character sheets. So that is uh, before the game starts, all the players will roll uh, one of their D6 that will correspond to one of the six options. And they keep that to themselves. They don't even tell the director. And what that is, is it's a little goal that they are trying to accomplish throughout the game. And it, it does go towards the competitive aspect, and, and we'll touch on that, but it is mostly just, you know, everyone's playing into these tropes, but it gives everyone an extra little motivation because most of the time, one player ends up with the love interest. Sometimes more, sometimes none. <laughs> um, usually one. But the secret objective gives everyone something to do. Like, maybe they just aren't having in the moment that, you know, character chemistry with the love interest. Or it's just clear that they're not going to end up with them. But they still have this kind of fun task to accomplish. And some of them kind of break the conventions of the hallmark, you know, typical genre thing. So I very much encourage in the book everyone to kind of keep the tone light. Don't be too winking, you know, Mm -hmm. like don't try, don't try to be too ironic with it. Like try to be genuine with it. But of course, it's naturally going to happen that you're going to, you know, you're you're, going to wink a little. And that's totally, that's totally expected. But the, uh, the secret objectives will sometimes invite you to do something a little bit more duplicitous than you would find in it. Right. So there's, um. One of the roles is the cool single parent and um, your kid, you have a, a super smart kid who's always giving you love advice and things like that. Um, <laughs> but one of the secret objectives could be like, find a few opportunities to throw them under the bus and benefit from it. So it, it just <laughs> invites you to do these. Um, some of them are very straightforward. Some of it's like help your kid. But, you know, if you roll a different number, it could be like, ooh, maybe, like use maybe make your sure that you benefit from it. Yeah, exactly. Your own means or exactly. your own ends. <laughs> yes, which actually a lot of times is in genre as well, uh, weirdly enough. But yeah, it's it's it does feel very fun to, as you said, like twist it a little bit where it's like, well, I would never use my child to do that. And it's like, you literally would. <laughs> you literally, you, and you have throughout the movie. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to get to be a player this season, which is a rarity for me. So it's great. Uh, so I've deliberately not looked at the characters. I don't want to, I don't want to know any of, uh, too many of the, um, the secret objectives. I want to, Try to parse oh. them out as we go. Mm. Actually, so this this is going to be part of my advice. Oh, no, sorry. For you as a player, yes, that makes sense. Sorry, I had to reverse <laughs> for a second. If I can cut in though real quick. Yeah. yeah. Part of my advice, you don't have to do this, but I think as the director, Abby, it could help to, I don't think you need to have them all memorized, but just like get a sense for what the secret objectives are. And that way you could you get a sense um, when you can tell a player is going for something you know, you, you can Got kind it. of set them up for success. Yes. Mm. Okay. That makes a ton of sense. Yeah. It's like if I vaguely, if I'm like, okay, I feel like this might be your secret objective to help people along without being too on the nose about it. That is smart. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I do, uh, just before we we move on, I do want to touch back on the dice mechanics a little bit. So 2D6 system and you add your, your appropriate modifier of sweaters, cocoa, or cheer. Yes. I know I am very familiar and a lot of listeners are familiar and, and Abby's familiar with like what DCs are for you know, D&D, you know, like 10 is pretty easy. Five is super simple. 20 is getting tough. 
Uh, what are like the rough DCs you recommend for like easy, medium, and hard tasks? Um, so I say easy, six plus. So like six and above. If something's easy, medium, eight plus. And for a really difficult task, 10 plus. That said, you want your players to succeed generally, mm-hmm. right? I mean, but that is also the fun of an RPG is sometimes a failure leads to a fun complication. You have to work around it. But yeah. generally, I'm in favor of things being on the easier side. And this, the stats are pretty generous. If you're good at something, it's like you will have like a plus three in Coco if you're like really smart, if you're the uh, the married to your job kind of a thing. But you might have negative cheer. So you got to <laughs> so you gotta watch out. You balance you them. Yeah. <laughs> Gonna be great at your job. Go to the holiday party. I don't know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> there is also something just so sweet, especially as a player and, and as a game master, when you set that crazy high DC and then someone hits it. Like someone that is you know, like very true. great. If you roll a 25, go for it. If you roll a if you roll a 12 in this game, go for it. And someone just nails double sixes. So there's another little thing with the dice where if you roll doubles. You activate a plot twist. So um, that could be something. If you roll snake eyes, that could be something bad. And so like um, there, there's in the book a, a table. So double ones, that means a blizzard has started outside and suddenly the weather becomes dangerous <laughs> and everyone's going to be stuck in one place. But if you roll uh, on the opposite end, if you roll 12, if you roll two sixes, then um, a random NPC in the room also becomes a love interest. And now they're thrown into things a little bit more heavily. So you don't want that happening all the time. But when you have that magic six and something goes really, really good, you've also very much impressed someone else in the room. Mm-hmm. I do love, yes, introducing like plot twist. There's more than one love interest available here. <laughs> I, I do really like making plot twists a mechanical thing. Like when this happens, everyone knows like, great, we're going we're gonna to add a complication to the table. We're going to add a complication mm-hmm. to what's going on. That is always nice, cause especially when someone is not used to doing a role-playing game or is moving from something, you know, like D&D or Pathfinder or something into something like this that is more rules light and is more collaborative than the traditional dungeon master player relationship. <laughs> right having some of those like little mechanisms that you can lean back on, like your old doubles, we're going to have a plot twist. You have a secret objective you can work towards. All those things are little things that the player can kind of like, you know, physically lean back on and just be like, okay, if I don't know what to do, I can at least do this. Yeah. And that's hugely helpful, especially, you know, when you look at a and d character sheet, you're like, okay, there's a million things. Like, what do I do? It's kind of a choice paralysis. This is like, I've got a secret objective. Great. I'll do that. I'm really good at Coco. Great. I'll do that. <laughs> yes. That, that, that's great to hear. That, that is very much the intent and the point. And it's something I found playing, you know, different RPGs that are also genre based is when you have something that players are so familiar with, you know, if they're new to RPGs or I think has been often the case, people might not come to home, Hometown Holiday new. They might come to Hometown Holiday new from like just D&D or something. Mm-hmm. Right. And yeah, having those tropes and having those little things to rely on Playing a character that you already know because you've seen it a million times just really, uh, it just makes for a very smooth role-playing experience. Yeah. I actually have a question about plot twists. And this, I guess, could apply to a couple of elements of the game. But with, do you find that it works better if, as the director, you announce, like, what the plot twist is? So if the plot twist was double sixes of, like, there's a new love interest— of being very transparent, of saying, like, this is what the plot twist is. And furthermore, it's Curtis the coffee guy. Like, being, or do you find it's a little more fun to to keep some of that information secret, all of that information secret, so everyone knows there is a plot twist, but they don't know what it is? 
Oh, I, I am very much all for um, it being public, especially because it's going to be a player who rolled and they're, it's, Got it. the player has to announce that it's doubles, right? And so yeah. then, you know, then you check what it is and, and, and announce it that way. And I think part of it is that fun of, um, I don't know, I, you know, have, have worked on like classic board games and things like that professionally. And so I, I kind of have a soft spot for that. Like Monopoly, I've rolled doubles, something exciting has to happen. Like oh, if yeah, I roll yeah. doubles, like why isn't something extra special happening? So I kind of want that to be uh, that that big moment. Amazing. Okay, cool. For the game. Yeah. yeah. I feel like that also, yeah, just like fits again into the genre of like <laughs> the obviousness sometimes of these movies where it's like, of course, you know, you know totally. immediately. There's, there's yes, little subtlety in a lot of these. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, no, I think that's a, it's a good rule of thumb is, is little subtlety. Okay, cool. Great. <laughs> In the book for Hometown Holiday, you kind of describe a traditional game as probably like, you know, two to three hours, which is great because that's what we want to do. And you break it up roughly into like act one, act two, act three, you know, classic movie structure. Though actually, th this is a, a real tangent. Uh, a couple of years ago, I read a, it was like a New Yorker, an Atlantic article or something that was about like the Hallmark movie, like machine, the people, because they make these movies in like two weeks, which is absurd. Oh, totally. Yeah. But apparently their, like, script structure is a 14-act script structure. Huh. Okay. Because I guess that, like, it's incorporates three-act structure and the necessary amount of commercial breaks or something. <laughs> oh, that's fascinating. <laughs> it was wild to read. We'll have to find and, like, send it I'm, to Yeah, you I'm going to have to look. That yeah. sounds yeah. amazing. Oh, yeah. I'll, I'll yeah. find it. I'll send it to you. I'll link it in the show notes, too. But as far as what a classic, what a traditional game would look like, as far as, like, Act 1, Act 2, Act 3, what are the things you think needs to get established kind of in an act one. What does act two look like? And what are the things that Abby or, or any game master or any director in this case should be looking to accomplish in act three at the end? Totally. Um, I, I've tried to break it down to be as like concrete as possible. So, you know, you don't have to formally announce act one, act two, act three, although you could, like I said, no subtlety. <laughs> but really it's kind of meant to be just steps for the director as they're directing things along. So it's, it's almost like a checklist, right? So act one, you introduce each of the player characters meeting the love interest. That's the let their meet cute. So each of them gets their own scene. And then you're done with act one. And act two, uh, and really from act two forward, you're trying to keep all the players in one place as much as possible, you know, just to keep everyone involved and things like that. So act two is kind of your, you're just establishing kind of what the problems are in this world that might keep the players from being together with the love interest. So that is usually, you know, that that's the that's the plot, basically, right? It, it's the love interest is ready to be wooed. They're ready to be with one of these, one or more of these players, like at the drop of a hat. But something, something is throwing off their Christmas spidey sense. <laughs> and that has to be dealt with first before they can then worry about love. So it could be like, oh no, um, a big, big box store is going to come in here and bulldoze Main Street. Or, you know, it, the, the big figure skating competition is happening and I have to win kind of a thing. And so the players are incentivized to help the love interest of that. And, you know, it also incentivized not just because they want to be with the love interest, but because this is their small hometown and, you mm -hmm. know, they want to protect it and, you know, celebrate properly and all of those things. And then act three is the players really full on tackling, solving that issue, tying up loose ends. And then, you know, someone finally kind of ending up with a love interest. Mm -hmm. as, as marked, as you said, with that, that single chaste kiss that formally ends the game. <laughs> yes, no Can't kiss here. before that. Then yeah. that's, mm -mm. you got you to keep that tension. <laughs> <laughs> so I think 
now is probably a good time because we've talked about mechanics, we've talked about stats, we've talked about sweaters, cocoa, and cheer, which I'll bring up multiple more times throughout this podcast. <laughs> as often as we can. We've talked about plot twists and we've talked about Act 1, Act 23. But the whole point of the game is for each of the players to fall in love with and garner that first chase kiss with the love interest. Uh, so I'd love to hear your thoughts on like building that love interest and what what Abby should be doing to making to make a fun uh, love interest for the players. Yes, absolutely. Um, so the the love interest kind of goes hand in hand with kind of like what your overarching plot is. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a big proponent of like doing as little prep for this game as possible, which I know is like really stressful, especially if you're coming from like a D&D or something like that, mm-hmm. where you have to kind of build out this campaign story and things like that. But I'm, I'm a big proponent of like, use this game as a chance to just like explore, right? And like, like not prep too much. And so what I suggest for the prep is kind of figure out what the overarching plot is, right? And that can be really vague. That can be big companies going to come in and try to bulldoze Main Street. That could be uh, the love interest has amnesia. Full stop. That's the whole thing. There's actually a, <laughs> a table in the back of the book that um, oh, gives you some plot suggestions. so fun. But also, yes, wait, was it the Lindsay Lohan, her, her comeback movie last year was that Christmas movie where, yeah, the plot was she has amnesia. It's... <laughs> That's see what's so funny is I didn't even know about that one, but I've seen at least three other ones where that's the plot. Yeah, yeah. Um, she gets in a ski accident and ends up having to be taken care of because she has amnesia and can't remember who she is. By um, what's his face from Glee? Um, I'm terrible at names, but anyway, Darren keep Chris going. Is the Glee guy, I know. I don't know. Yeah, um, Darren Chris. That was that the only. It guy? wasn't Darren Chris. He was a later edition. He wasn't OG. I see. Cast. I don't think I watched. Past I'm gonna the first think. Season. I'm gonna think on it. It'll come to me eventually. <laughs> I don't actually know if I want it on this podcast that I watched the whole first season of Glee. <laughs> you know honest. what? It didn't age well, but it was a thing we were all super into at the time, and to deny it, honestly, you know what it was? They they were carried by that first rendition of "Don't Stop Believing." Yeah, and it has yeah. since ruined the song "Don't Stop Believing" for me. <laughs> As someone who didn't watch it, that was like the main thing I knew about it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, everyone. Uh, it, it was that was yeah. like they played that at like high, I think it was high school for me. High school, middle school. Oh, Cord Overstreet, which is also, I mean, that name doesn't feel real at all. But that's his real name. That's the actor. They could have just used that huh. as his, his hallmark name. Yeah, they could have. Yeah, that's that's fair. I'm, I'm so sorry. sorry. We, we, yeah, we, we fully derailed track. you, but you're talking about uh, using like the plot table and like what to prep yes, versus what you. not to, and to just let roll. Yeah. For for prep. Yep. So so have a vague idea of that plot, and the plot really is the defining thing for the love interest, um, because it 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 kind of centers around because if the whole point of like like I said, Act Two is establishing why the players can't be with a love interest then that is the thing that needs to be resolved. And so that kind of ends up being the plot and mm-hmm. the love interest backstory kind of all rolled into one. And then from there, I, I really encourage direct, you can plan things more out if you want to. I totally get wanting to do that. It, it feels safer going in. Yeah. <laughs> but what I like is that because everyone kind of knows these characters that they are going to be embodying um, and the role play will should, you know, typically happens pretty naturally and you're going to be making jokes and you're like, oh, I'm doing this thing that always happens in these movies. It'll start to happen pretty naturally that like, oh, well, if someone's going to come bulldoze Main Street, my character who owns the small business on Main Street uh, has a problem with that. Mm -hmm. And the complications kind of will start to naturally roll themselves together or the person who. uh, So if we if we go with that example for uh, for a second, um, that means the character who's married to their job 
or the character who's dating a jerk is another one of the roles who is like you know dating some like snobby elitist kind of person <laughs> either the person married to their job and or the you know the the rich jerk partner could be invested in bull in uh, main street being bulldozed and so everything kind of starts to roll together and then you you know you get moments like you know oh i have to break up with my my jerk uh partner because they're against destroying this town that i love and also now i'm conveniently free to date the love interest uh-huh convenient <laughs> <laughs> totally and so as you set up these meet cutes that will kind of start to flesh out the world before you even really have to fully settle on everything with the plot cool okay um and for the meet cutes that that can be the part that maybe you know you if depending on your number of players think of a few different scenarios in which the love interest might interact with them i have a couple go-tos uh, i if, if you want my them. cheat sheet on it <laughs> so you know if you're the character uh who owns a small business on main street that's pretty easy the love interest goes into the store to buy something mm-hmm. they have a charming interaction with the you know the player behind the counter what my my favorite go to um don't don't tell anyone I play with that I do this every single time <laughs> but um my favorite go to is for someone who is dating a jerk is that um the player and their partner are driving into town disgusted that they have to spend the, their holidays in this quaint small town instead of being on their big tropical vacation and they just they hit the love interest with their car <laughs> <laughs> a great one and so that's a great one. If if you're hey, if your plot is amnesia, bam, you've set it up. Um, <laughs> Easy, done. <laughs> but in uh, that, that's a fun way to kind of get into the character of the love interest too, because the love interest is infinitely kind. They um, have an infinite love of the holidays, and so it's always a fun moment to have them get hit by a car, and then they immediately stand up. Their sweater is slightly scuffed, but they dust themselves off, right? <laughs> it doesn't matter how hard they were hit or anything. They stand up and they go, oh, I'm so sorry that I was in the way of your car kind of a thing. And so then you can kind of, uh, and that, that's the, you know, the, the whole idea of the, the beautiful idiot, the infinitely yeah. nice kind of like golden retriever personality. Not that you have to go with that, but that's, I feel like that's usually kind of the like, they're, it's a great they have to be point, easy to yeah. talk to for anyone. Yeah. yeah. The 80s are over and you're not kids anymore now is a much darker time something happened to you and you got touched by the weird and it made you wild and it made you powerful this is the world of the lost bay a suburban gothic rpg a fever dream set in 1990X and inspired in equal parts by dark fantasy, horror classics, and the 90s indie culture. After years of development, and thanks to the feedback and support of a community of early enthusiasts, The Lost Bay is coming to Kickstarter, featuring a full rulebook and complete setting designed by Eco, kick-ass art by Evangeline Gallagher, killer maps by Strega Wolf Vandenberg, and six additional modules by some of the coolest designers in the indie scene. So go to thelostbayrpg.com to be notified on launch. That's thelostbayrpg.com. Abby, I know a thing that you were worried about going in, or not, not necessarily worried, but you were interested in how to play is the friend. 
Yes. I think the friend is such a fun addition. And the fact that part of, of the friend is that they're not competing for the love interest. They might still end up with them. You never know. But I just think it's so great to build in a thing automatically that is like a for the person who's like, I don't know, like, I don't want to compete for a love interest or this isn't my vibe or whatever, because it is such a strong trope. But I think one of the absolute best parts about it is the fact that you're explicitly told that they should be in almost every single scene, even if it doesn't make any sense. And a question I had about part of that, and I guess some of it depends on you and your players and figuring it out, is letting the friend sort of take the reins of where they want their entrance to come in versus as the director being like, suddenly the door opens and you see friend (laughs) are like balancing kind of uh, who's in charge of of making sure they're in every scene. Absolutely. And that, that's a great question. It, it's um so yeah, one of the player characters, I think the one that we haven't talked about, the one role is the friend. And if you if you just want to be the person who's not competing, that's totally cool. Either you don't want to be competing or you're not super comfortable with like the flirty gameplay or something like that. If you just want to be like tangential to that, there's the friend. And so they are, as you said, in every single scene, um, <laughs> which is easier in Acts 2 and 3 because everyone should generally, you know, not always, but everyone is usually in every scene mm-hmm. from from then on. But for all those meet-cutes, it, it kind of is on a player-by-player basis for whether the friend introduces themselves or whether the director prompts them in. I think in most cases, it's helpful for the director to prompt them in in like the first one or two of the meet-cutes, and then they can kind of develop a sense. and. You know, I I just encourage you be very open with your table, and um, mm-hmm. if, if you if the person is kind of a little bit more reserved and not throwing themselves in, you can be like, oh, and then the 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 bell rings at the door, and in walks uh so and so. Okay, cool. Yeah, it does feel like one of those things where by Act Three, they're just going to be popping through doors like Kramer, just like here I am. <laughs> oh, that is exactly what it is, right? Yeah. Um, and so yeah, um, I'm not sure if I if I quite fully explain the concept but yeah one of the players can be the friend and their whole thing is to just give advice to the other players they're the perpetual wingman um and even says on their page they don't have a like their backstory isn't known it doesn't matter their backstory (laughs) is that they are every they're the best friend of every single character and they equally want each of those friends they like don't have a last name it's yeah yes exactly so they're just the funny comic relief that is always there in every single scene. So, you know, to, to, to go to those two examples earlier, right? It's um, where our, our first scene, the, the, the dating a jerk and their jerk partner are driving in. Boom, they hit the love interest with their car. The friend is there saying, oh my gosh, there's been a car accident, but oh, hey, so-and-so, I didn't know you were back in town. <laughs> then the next scene, the love interest has gone into the small coffee shop run by another player and who's sitting there at the table or sitting there at the counter, but the friend again. Mm-hmm. And, you know, each time remarking on the chemistry that that player has with the love interest and uh, what they should do to, uh, you know, woo them. I feel like the le- the friend also, there's always this sense of like, how did you get from point A to point B faster than the characters in the car? And like, wait, there's always an element of it where you're like, what? How are you there? <laughs> um, which I just adore. Yeah. Right. How come no one's trying to help them? Why are they so invested in this other person's <laughs> life? Yeah. But like, don't they have their own job that they should be at right now <laughs> exactly. instead of just like helping with the, you know, storeroom or something? No, they don't. 
there's there's a part of me that thinks it's 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 almost secretly sinister because no one you're right no one does help them so they're help by helping everyone it's actually kind of fucked up (laughs) oh yeah no absolutely and that's um mechanically uh i know we haven't fully jumped into the competitiveness yet but you know the, the players are accruing points every time they have a positive interaction with the love interest and so the friend earns points when another player successfully interacts with the love interest based off of their advice. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's you know, mechanically incentivizing them to really play into that wingman role. Yeah. And be like, oh, hey, well, you should go talk to her and tell her this. Or, um, <laughs> you know, I heard he really likes blank kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so you teed me up perfect. This is a kind of pseudo-competitive tabletop role-playing game because only, I guess, more people than one could could end up with the uh, the love interest, but usually just one. Can you talk us through a little bit more of how people are garnering points and how I, Brian Flaherty, will win the game? <laughs> <laughs> well, Brian, I prepared a list of uh, optimum builds and strategies yes, for Homecoming like Holiday. I would like to min-max my character, please. <laughs> mm, this is the game for the that, shoulder okay. rockets. Um, so, yeah, I, I think when you said pseudo-competitive, that that's what it is. You know, I was actually just... I, I've, 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 you know, been playing every year, every holiday season, and I kind of just second nature me now. So, but before this, I sat down and like, I need to reread this just to make sure, like, <laughs> it's just like I'm in not your completely... head now, yeah. <laughs> right. It's like, what did I actually write down there? So, some of the writing might lead you to be a little bit more competitive, but I, there's also a lot of encouragement that it is all just for fun. And what what I found playing wh- whenever I play is that. The competitive stuff is there to, because this is very much targeted towards, you know, rules light towards new players, new to, you know, the world of things that aren't D&D kind of players. The competitiveness is just there to incentivize you to act, basically. I have never played a game where, you know, one of the players ends up with a love interest and the other players are like, oh, no, I was this close to winning, right? Like... (laughs) I've never seen that happen. And well, you haven't played with me. The, I'm not saying I don't want to see it happen. If there was like a highly competitive game of Hometown Holiday, I would love that. We're going to do like a Hunger Games twist on Hometown Holiday. <laughs> we'll throw that on the table in the back. Yeah. Only, only one. Only the person one who ends up with a love interest is the sole survivor. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah, so, so yeah, so the way players accrue points is, you know, I flirt with the love interest, and if I said something charming or, you know, I do something impressive, then the director marks a point on a little sheet that I can't see. And mm-hmm. they're doing that for everyone. If that, if I, you know, it could also be uh, rewarding outstanding role-playing or doing something just really funny and in, like, within the trope or something, you know, you could just add a little tick mark for someone, right? Um, or add two points if it's really crazy. It's like really, really good. And like was the most, like I rolled the 12. And I did something so impressive. And mm-hmm. it was like perfect for the love interest. Or, you know, also I fall flat on my face. Or I say something a little off-putting. And it could subtract a point. And then at the end, uh, when it does come time for the love interest, the, the plot has resolved. Finally, everyone can breathe. The love interest can finally take the time to say, Brian... Brian's character, you have just been the most outstanding. The way you helped me back there, the way, you know, we just really had sparks from the get-go. Um, and I've, I've chosen Brian because what? you've accrued me? the most tick marks. Uh, My goodness. <laughs> I, 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 I'm just a simple, simple, small-town girl. I, I didn't think I would ever get picked. 
<laughs> right. No, so, sorry. <laughs> um, I, I just own this bakery that my father left to me, and we always used to make Christmas buns together <laughs> every year. And your love of Christmas bakery is just like my love for the holidays. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, right. And so, and so that's just how you choose, you know, basically who ends up with mm-hmm. love interest at the end. Sometimes people tie. I say in the rule book, you can either roll off or just you can share. Mm-hmm. That, that's happened before. Yeah. And, and so, and, you know, and the friend can also accrue more points. That doesn't mean they end up with a love interest, but at the end, they get a little like, yeah, I like, <laughs> I was the best wing, the I was winner. such a good wingman. <laughs> yeah. Right. That, I, that I've won. And the, the secret um, objectives playing to that also, there is actually, um, a, there's an extra little point bonus if you do end up with the love interest, but there's a bigger point bonus if you complete your secret objective. Mm. And, and so the whole point of that is that everyone can, again, everyone kind of goes in wanting to win. By the end, it doesn't really matter because everyone wants the story to make sense in the best way possible. Yeah. Everyone wants to tell like the, you know, a, a complete making sense. Uh, yeah, I lost it. But yeah, everyone <laughs> wants the story to make sense. The extra, the bigger bonus for the secret objective just means that like anyone can still win, right? Like if I have just been spending all my time wooing the love interest and completely neglecting my duty to benefit from, you know, throwing my kid under the bus, <laughs> then like maybe and I you don't might deserve not to win. win. <laughs> you get your one chaste kiss and then that's going to have to suffice for you. <laughs> You're right. And, and what's this? I didn't exploit my child? Then like what was the whole purpose? <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, the friend also has secret objectives and the friend can be the winner or, you know, I think some of the friend's objectives are like, you end up with one of the players, you know? Uh. Yeah. That is one thing I also really love is the idea that if you see one of your players sort of really digging an NPC or another player or whatever, that it's written in the rules of like, anyone can end up with anyone or not end up with anyone if that's where the game takes you, which I think is a really fun thing for for players to be like, look, if if the honk I've created is not your cup of tea... You could certainly pursue other folks. <laughs> we could have oh. romance left and right. <laughs> oh, absolutely. So uh, the, actually, the origin of this game was a, a fundraiser I did with my friends three years ago for the Trevor Project, where we did a 12-hour stream, and we wanted it to do um, something holiday-related. I wrote the, the first draft of Hometown Holiday, and we played four sessions. of. I, I directed it for four sessions straight over 12 hours. Oh, wow. That's awesome. Um, and game three of four... The love interest was, uh, it's, it's even referenced in one of the scenarios that you can roll <laughs> on the table, is was a hot shot pilot and everyone was snowed in at the airport and everyone just hated the love interest. <laughs> <laughs> Not right away. The villain. <laughs> yeah, kind of. Yeah. And so, but like, and that's what I'm talking about with like going in, being ready to be flexible, like, like using this as a chance to explore and experiment with like not having so much prep. Mm-hmm. Is because, yeah, maybe it's more fun that the love interest becomes the villain. And then, yeah, some of the players end up with NPCs. Some of the players ended up with each other. And going back to the kind of competitive, pseudo-competitive mechanics, right? There is point bonuses. They're not as big for ending up with a love interest, but there is point bonuses for ending up with another player or ending up with an NPC uh, that's still rewarded. And I've toyed around, you know, I've I've done some exploring and some testing with just removing the points entirely. Mm Because at the end of the day, the whole point, and I stress this in the book, isn't to win, it's to tell this fun story with your friends. But I found that the point structure, no one really cares at the end who won. Mm -hmm. They'll care who ended up with the love interest and how their personal plot they're resolved. But it it does give you that little incentive for starting off. And like, it gives you places to, like you said, when I don't know what to do, 
I have an objective that is being measured in a way that like I know it incentivizes me to work for, uh, towards it. Yeah, it's again that thing of like when in doubt, if you're like in a scene and you're like, oh, I've, I've lost the plot a little bit. You could be like, I have the secret objective. At the very least, I could do that. Um, and yes. yeah, to know like there are things you could be working towards that mean something, which I'm putting in air quotes in the sense that <laughs> <laughs> you get points for them. But as you said, the points, they're not everything. The points they're not are something, everything. but they're not everything. Yeah. I don't know what you guys are talking about. The points are absolutely everything. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but I do really like, because I think, especially when you're coming into a new game as a player, even, like even me, and I play a bunch of, we played a bunch of games on this show. The first like 10 minutes, you're like, still figuring out what your character is you're trying to remember all the mechanics and you're you're like you're you're a little you're not in it yet like i don't think there's a game out there that you're in it from minute one the more you can reduce that time and that like effort to get in it the better the game is and i think when you have those mechanics that are just like helping push you through that first couple of minutes of like this is uncomfortable i don't quite know what i'm doing once you get past, once you get over the hump of that roller coaster, once you pass that activation energy, you're in, it's golden, everything's made up and the points don't matter. But until <laughs> yes, exactly. then, I don't know anything and the points are the only thing I'm going to think about because it's, <laughs> it's just what's getting me to that point. A hundred percent. And that, I think that's really well said. That's, that's basically the whole point of the points. Mm-hmm. Point of the points. We love the points. The points. <laughs> so, so Nick, this game's been out for a little while. You ran four games in a row on a stream that I really wish I had watched because that sounds awesome. I'm wondering, are there any, throughout all the games that you've played or, or games that you've heard of, are there any favorite moments uh, from games of Hometown Holidays that you've heard of? Ooh, that is a great question. Yes, absolutely. So one of the, some of the ones that stick out are in those first four kind of like proto uh, sessions where one of the players... Uh, she she played a uh, iguana salesman. Um, <laughs> I don't think that was decided at the beginning, but they kind of like, you know, they were a business person. They were trapped in the airport and they found themselves at the bar talking with someone else's, like one, one of the other players, like jerk partners. And yeah, it just came out that they were an iguana salesman. And then Such by the end of the career, <laughs> by the end of the game, they had assembled a mini PowerPoint. That was um, the PowerPoint on why you should buy iguanas that they had been pitching people throughout the game. And so like, while it. some other people were having moments, they like were very quickly putting together the slideshow on iguanas. Um, it was really fantastic. Absolutely incredible. <laughs> that's, that's next level player stuff. <laughs> yes. The moments where there is another love interest uh, introduced can be really fun, especially if that's an NPC that the players have already been interacting with. Mm. Um, and you know, who's to say that you have to wait for double sixes for that to happen, right? Mm-hmm. Like as a director, oh. you can always just kind of be like, oh, well, actually you seem to be really hitting it off with this person. And you know what? They're fair game. Anyone can go after them. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. We, we've had screaming alpacas that get a taste for, uh, human blood. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, we've had uh, a what? bulldozer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, so for the the plot for that one was that the love interest moved from the big city to horse country and one of the players, <laughs> their small business was an alpaca farm. Um, which so it, far. Okay. 
That can yeah. see a so movie. Far, absolutely. Classic Hallmark um, fair. Someone rolled snake eyes and we got the blizzard outside and the alpacas got lost. <laughs> and I, I don't remember how it got the taste for human flesh, but it was like, you know, it's kind of like a last minute little uh, thing. Um, Someone said it. You were like, let's just roll with it. Okay. <laughs> I guess with that, I should go back to tone where maybe don't take inspiration from that moment. I, I, <laughs> I, I've had moments where it goes, um, as one player put, uh, full on Phineas and Ferb, where mm, it's just mm-hmm. like almost too silly. So th- that's what I'm talking about, where it's like, keep it in keep it in genre uh, as, as much as you can. And I think that the last five minutes, you can like really let loose. I think that's allowed. But, um, you know, if things build there, that's totally fine. But I... I, I I refer to the tone as a winking magical realism. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it feels like act one at the very least. It's like, let's keep to the agenda. Act two, 100%. we start to have a little bit of fun. It's like, and if act three, you want to throw in those bloodthirsty alpacas. Yeah, you know I what? think that's a great okay. way to put it. That is a great way to put it. Yes, like I think one of my first playtest sessions, the plot was that they had to win the big Christmas tree eating contest. And that was like a little <laughs> bit too much for being the main plot. Um, but if like, if it comes down to at the end, like that's this how we're going to settle things. So be it. Like we've had um, people squaring off in bulldozers um, with <laughs> that were charged with the Christmas spirit. Then, you know, if that's yes, what's come down were. to... Um, that's what it's come down to. Absolutely, <laughs> they were charged with the Christmas spirit. Abby, we got to have something charged by the Christmas spirit. Uh, don't you worry. The whole town is powered by Christmas spirit. <laughs> <laughs> that's a great Hallmark movie. Ooh, that's pretty good. The oh, whole but it's running low. And now but it's running low. Fine. And they can't figure out why. Because everyone's, everyone's putting up decorations. They're in the holiday spirit, but it turns out that they're not actually in the ho- holiday spirit. They're just going through the motions. They've holiday lost the true holiday spirit. It doesn't come from consumerism, Brian. It comes from the heart. It comes from the heart, and they forgot. <laughs> we should write this. That's Other slaps. movies have said it before, but why not say it again? That's exactly. the whole point of this. Exactly. <laughs> and ours can have bloodthirsty alpacas. Exactly. There you go. They've got the Christmas spirit. <laughs> yeah. They've got something. It, they, it, yeah, they, they got something. <laughs> it's not what you get. It's what you give. You know? Oh, there we go. Well, one of the last questions I had for you, Nick, is I always like to ask if they're, especially when someone's played a game so many times, have you found any like common pitfalls, like traps that you fell into once you're like, make a note never to do that thing again? Because those are often like the bits of wisdom that first time GMs can really benefit from. Totally. I I would say the tone thing is, is probably the biggest one is like deciding to go full silly out the gate or full irony out the gate. I, I would say actually just stay away from like too much irony altogether. It, it's okay. cool if you go there, but catch yourself going there um, because the game is a parody, but it's also like a love letter, right? Mm-hmm. The movies are fun because they're so genuine and that's what makes them so silly and so fun to laugh at. And really, like, laugh along with, right? Like, no one's actually making these Hallmark movies thinking they're making high cinema, right? Like, they know they're being campy. They know it's silly. And so y- you want to keep that the genuineness in there and not let it get too uh, poisoned with irony. Yeah. I feel like that's always something... That, I think you said it You said it perfectly. That's the thing you want to get to. It's not a thing you want to start with. No, 100%. Like if if yep. you get to irony, that's fine. But Which, yeah, because yeah, as you said, it's the kind of thing of, like... The 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 reason that you want to play this and do these is because we love those movies. Like, yes, they're cheesy and campy, but like they genuinely bring you joy <laughs> watching yes, them. Yes, exactly. So, yeah. Right. 
as you said, it's there's a sincerity to them. And I think that's what makes them so much fun. My comparison is like a really fun, I, like I just love like like a bad movie as a genre, right? But there's mm-hmm. a difference between like The Room and Sharknado, where The Room is like part of the fun is that it's really genuine. Yeah. Whereas like you watch like the third Sharknado sequel and you're like, ah, they, uh, they're they really like leaning into it and winking at the camera a lot. And it's like, then you, you, you lose something. Yeah. Um, yeah. And also you want to have genuine fun with your friends. So. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> We're kind of winding down here. Uh, before we get out of here, Abby, is there anything that you're still worried about or any last minute questions you have before we start to play our own game of hometown holiday? I'm honestly just like, I'm so pumped and so excited to, to do it. It's funny because, because as we mentioned, I think my usual or like my gut is, is wanting to prep or write or like have fun with, with like really setting things up. But it's a game where I'm going to, I might think about like plot or as you said, set up a couple of meat coots, but because it's a game that's built for you to pick up and play without having necessarily done anything in advance, that that's what I'm going to do, which I'm a little nervous, but because as I said, it's not my, my MO, but since that's, that's the game and I want to see kind of where it goes. And, and, and I'm just like pumped. Very excited. It's really getting me in the holiday spirit. <laughs> that's so exciting. I'm, I am so excited to hear it. It's been um like, like listening to your, you guys' uh, Orbital Blues episodes and hearing the care that you put into the sound and the music and everything. And I'm like, this is, it's it's such an honor to um, know that you guys have chosen something I've worked on. It's really cool. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. We've been like, oh, be so I, th- I was going to say, this has been a plan since at least the summer, like June or something, where we were talking about this. And we were like, well, yeah. So that's definitely what we're going to do end of the year. Also, Brian, you're going to have to look up so many like sleigh bells sound effects and I'm excited for that sound design. Sound design is going to be very fun. I, I might cut what I'm about to say next out because there's there's an off chance that his schedule gets too weird. But hopefully our resident musician Behold, uh, Colin McClutchy, is going to do an original Christmas song as the theme song. That would be amazing. Can I make a request to Colin? And like, if this is yeah. too much, if there's already a plan, no. But something that we found coming up, it, my, my, one of my favorite I guess, I guess you call it a trope. It's a weird occurrence in these movies is a song that is clearly the instrumentation for a known Christmas song, like <laughs> Rockin' Around the Christmas Tree, some, something like that. And then the lyrics come on and it's not that song. Right? <laughs> it's like, like they, how they, they get the around the legal rights of buying that yeah. song or something. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Right. It's, um, I saw a YouTube video that recently that mentioned this. And then later that week, I saw a different example of it on TV in like one of the movies. I was like, how are they doing this? <laughs> <laughs> like, what a bizarrely specific, as you said, trope, I guess. Yeah. And it's like, th- they're iconic openings, right? Like the, um, like that guitar riff at the beginning of Rockin' Around the Christmas Tree. Like, yeah. you're like, oh, yep, I know. And then the words come on completely different tune. You're like, uh. <laughs> you're like, oh, never mind. I can't sing along. Okay. <laughs> They're just they're just trying to hide behind parody law. They're like, all right, it's it's an homage. It's not a cover. Yeah. It's an homage. Oh, there was one. I don't know if it's the end of that same movie, but then they they all the characters were singing "Old Lang Syne" and they changed half of the words, but not all of them. But also, that's like that's in the public domain. I was about to say that's what so. you don't have to change. That's someone didn't do their research. They're like, you know what? Just throw it in the pile. Right. Or just yeah. <laughs> Someone was was like feeling creative with lyrics that day and was like, well, let's right. just switch it up. That's incredibly funny. That's a great request. I'll I'll pass it along. 
I am going to put you on the spot uh, one more time, Nick, before we get out of here, because this is a uh, homage and a a love letter to Hallmark movies and Christmas movies and and rom coms. Before we go, can you give us uh, a rom com and or Hallmark movie recommendation for the viewers. Oh boy, when when uh, when my wife and I watch like Hallmark movies and things, or knock off Hallmark movies or whatever, we typically just like turn on like uh, like Tubi or Pluto or like one of the free streaming services, mm-hmm. and we just start wherever the movie is and just <laughs> hit go. So unfortunately, <laughs> I do not have like a really good rec- like single name recommendation. There is one called Hometown Holiday, which I found out. Oh my god! After I kickstarted my game um <laughs> that one i can say quintessential that that mm-hmm. one will do it um i'm gonna say yeah anything with the they, they have amnesia is usually a recipe for success it's just a great plot twist <laughs> it's just so it's so convenient for them to just forget all the things yeah i also yeah. really like the recommendation of just pick a movie and start in the middle <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, honestly, I, the, the kind of like we were talking about, right? The whole point is it's all the tropes together. Mm-hmm. So I don't really want to point you to a specific one so much as I want to point you to like, just get in the spirit, get the vibes. And just like, even if you just watch the length of one, but it's over the course of two, you're going to pick up on all the tropes. They're going to reinforce each other. So, yeah. Yeah. And oddly enough, it's all the same actors in the same town and the same. <laughs> so it, it kind of just, it works out even in the wash. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Nick, thank you so much for joining us. Abby, I hope you're excited to play, as am I. I'm so excited to play. This is going to be phenomenal. And that is all for this episode of My First Dungeon. Join us next week as we put up the tree and pour some cocoa in our fuzzy warm sweaters in our game of Hometown Holiday. If you want even more My First Dungeon, head on over to patreon.com slash myfirstdungeonpod to get bonus actual plays, cast talkbacks, and a whole lot more. But for now... As always, remember, if you're having fun, you're already doing it right. Bye-bye, everybody. Bye. Bye. If you're looking for more great gaming content from everyone here at Many Sided Media, you should consider subscribing to the 20-Sided Newsletter. It's a free, bi-monthly newsletter for people who love games, make games, and just love making games. To subscribe, just go to 20sidednewsletter.substack.com or follow the link in the show notes.